The final paragraph of the Masechta discusses the laws of documents, and this mission specifically talks about the writing of the documents and who needs to be present when the documents are written. One can write a get for a man, a man who wants to divorce his wife. The scribe is able to write the get, even though his wife is not present with him. Since anyway one is able to divorce his wife even without her permission, without her consent, there's no reason to require her to be there. The hashovar and the receipt can be written lo'isha for a woman. This is what she would give her husband if she takes her kasuba from him. The kasuba is the document written at the beginning of the marriage that the husband obligates himself to give her a certain amount of money if he divorces her or when he dies. She would be entitled to that money from his inheritance. However, she's also able to claim that money earlier on during the marriage. And once she does so, she would write a receipt which her husband would keep, and that would be proof that he has already given her the kasuba and that she is no longer entitled to any more money due to the kasuba. So the woman would get this written and give it to the husband for him to keep. So that can be written, even if her husband is not with her, since it's for his benefit. However, as the Mishnah, this can only be done if the scribe, as well as the witnesses who are signing on the document, recognize the other person who is not present currently. The reason being, let's take the first example of the Mishnah, where the man is writing a get, there's a concern that he might have made a deal with another woman who is married to a man who has the same name as he has, and he, who lives in the same place. So the details on the get, at least concerning the man, would be the same. So he would write up this document, he would give it to this other woman who is married to somebody else, and she would be free to marry whoever she wants, and she could pretend that she is divorced, even though she didn't actually receive a divorce from her real husband. And so to make sure that does not occur, the scribe and the witnesses must recognize this man's wife and know her details and name to make sure that he is writing the document in order to divorce his own wife. Adds the Mishnah, the Habal and the husband is the one, Nisin Sachar, to give the payment. He's the one who has to pay for the cost of writing up the get. Since he is the one carrying out the divorce, it's learned from Psukim, the Chos of Law, he's the one who has to write it all up, so he would need to pay for it. And regarding the receipt which he gets for the kasuba that has been paid, he would need to pay for that being written up because it's for his own benefit to prove that he no longer owes her the kasuba money. Next case of the Mishnah, the scribe and the witnesses can write up a document for a lender, even if the, excuse me, for the borrower, even if the lender is not present with him. Because again, this document is being written for the benefit of the person who is not currently here. But of course, they wouldn't be able to write up a document for somebody lending someone else money unless the borrower is over there. Otherwise, anybody could just go to a scribe and tell him to write a document saying that he lent somebody lots of money. Of course, that is not the case, and that cannot be done. And the Mishnah adds, The borrower is the one who would need to pay for the writing up of the document because this is all for his own benefit so that he can get this money. The lender will only lend him the money if there's a document to prove it so that he'll be able to get his money back. So since ultimately this is for the benefit of the borrower, the general understanding is that the borrower is the one who would have to pay for the writing up of the document. Alright, and next case, the scribe and the witnesses can write up a document for a seller 
saying that he is selling something to somebody else. There are certain things where the transfer of ownership can actually be affected by the giving over of a document. For example, if somebody is selling land, when the seller gives over a document to the buyer saying that he is selling him that piece of land, that is how the transfer of ownership occurs. So this can be written, the document can be written up, even if the buyer is not currently there with him, because the document itself doesn't obligate anything. It's only once he gives it over to the buyer, and therefore it can be written even if he is not there. The ink is not but they cannot write it for a buyer to say that he has bought a field from someone else, unless the seller is with him. And that again is quite obvious. Otherwise, anybody could just go to a scribe and he'll write up a document for him saying that he bought a field from someone else, even without him buying it. And of course, that would not be possible. Even though this is an obvious law, it's written in the Mishnah because of the previous parts of the Mishnah to parallel those previous parts, all right? And the Mishnah ends off, it's the buyer who is the one who we understand and it's accepted that he is the one who pays for the writing up of the document because again, it's for his own benefit because he is the one who wants to buy this field, this piece of land. Of course, they're both gaining from it, but the main one who is benefiting, we understand to be the buyer of the land. Mr. Dalit, this mission discusses cases where the document can only be written if both people are present. In Kosen Shtori Eirosin, the scribe and the witnesses cannot write up a document of Eirosin, Erisin is another name for Kedushin, which is the first stage of marriage where a man acquires the woman, and the document which they would write at that time was really what each side would obligate themselves to bring into the marriage. If the groom or the bride's family, their parents would promise to give a certain amount of money into the marriage, so they'd write it up in a document in order to make it official and to obligate themselves in this, Vinisuin, the documents which are written at the time of marriage, for example, the Kasuba or the document which records the dowry, how much the woman's parents, the woman's father is giving and putting into the marriage. This was separate from that which they obligated them themselves at the time of the Eresin. These cannot be written unless it's with the consent of both people involved, because this affects both of them. If they, if they write a larger amount or a smaller amount, that would, have, of course, affect both of them, and therefore they both need to be present when it is written. And the groom, the man who is getting married, he is the one who needs to pay for it, for the writing of these documents, because we look at this marriage as he is acquiring the woman. He is marrying her. So he is the one who needs to pay for the writing of these documents. As well as that, in Kosvinstoy Arisos, they cannot write documents of Arisos. Arisos is when somebody rents a field, and the way that he pays the rent is from that which is actually produced in the field. A certain percentage of that which will be produced, he will give the owner of the field as the rent, the Kablonos. Or if somebody rents a field and he gives a fixed amount of the produce to the owner of the field, not a percentage, but a fixed amount... This can only be written with the consent and knowledge of both of them, because this is a regular deal between them which affects both of them equally. The Hamakabalos in Sahar, and the one who is accepting and renting the field, and the one who will work the field, he is the one who has to pay for the writing up of these documents, because he is looked at as, as being the main one who is benefiting over here. He's the one who's getting a field to rent, and he's also getting a living, and so he needs to pay for the writing up of this document. A case, in Kosenstreiberin, they cannot write documents which record the choice of two people who have decided to go to Beistin, the choice of Dayonim, of the judges, 
that they have chosen. Each one of them can choose one judge, and then the third one they choose between them. And once they've decided it, they would write it up in a document so that they can't go back on their word. And any document written by the Beistin to settle a particular argument. For example, if somebody owes someone else money, but they are not paying it, the Beistin would write up a document giving permission to the one who is owed money to force the other one to pay him. And again, since this affects both of them equally, it needs to be written with the knowledge of both of them. Of course, in the last case, it wouldn't necessarily be with the consent of both of them, because we're trying to force one of them to pay. But the point is, they both need to know about it, before it is written, and in the case of the story they were in, the document which records which dionym they have chosen, they would both need to pay for the writing of the document because they are both equal in that case. says, Both of them would write two documents. This one would write a document for himself, and the other one would also write a document for himself. The point of Rameshim Gamliel is that if one of them doesn't want to pay for the writing up of an entire document himself, rather he wants to pay for half, he wants there to be just one document which they'll share, according to Rameshim Gamliel, the other person is able to force him to write two separate documents if that is what he wants. He can claim that if the document is situated in one of their houses, then it won't be fair, etc. And so according to Rameshim Gamliel, if one of them wants to, for them to both have two separate documents, which they'll keep for themselves, he is able to force the other one to, for each of them to pay it for an individual one each. But of course, if they both agree to write one together, they would be able to do so. Somebody who paid up part of his debt, Ruven borrowed money from Shimon, let's say he borrowed 100 shekel, and he paid him back 30 shekel. We're going to see a discussion in the next Mishnah as to what exactly should be done in such a case. He now only owes him 70 shekel. Should they get rid of the original document saying that he owes him 100 shekel and rewrite a new document saying that he owes him 70 shekel? Or perhaps they should keep the 100 shekel document and the lender should just give a receipt to the borrower saying that he's received 30 shekel from him. Be as it may, in this case, both the borrower and lender decided they're not going to do that. Rather, they'll give it to a third person. So the lender gave the document which proves that he's entitled to that money, he gave it to somebody else. Levi, Vomailoi, and Ruvain, the borrower, told Levi, who is now holding the document, If I don't give you the rest of the loan, the remaining 70 shekel, to pass on to the lender between now and a certain date, then Tenle Shtoroi, give the lender back the document, which would allow the lender to make a claim of a hundred shekel. He wants to urge himself to make sure that he pays it on time. So he says, if I don't manage to pay it on time, give back the document to the lender, and he'll be able to claim from me a hundred shekel anew, says the Mishnah. If that date arrives, and the borrower did not manage to pay up yet, Rebiosa and Rebiosi says, Yitain! Levi should indeed give back the document to the lender, Shimon, and Shimon will be able to now claim a hundred shekel. Ruvain agreed to that deal. He's the one who made the deal. However, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, He should not give it back to Shimon the lender because this is known as Asmachta. Asmachta refers to somebody who transfers, he accepts upon himself or he gives over some money to somebody else, but he's sure that it won't actually take effect. In this case, for example, he promises and he says that I intend to transfer the ownership 
of this 30 shekel back to the lender and I'll have to pay him another 100 shekel, we'll view the original 30 shekel as a gift, but not as a repayment of the loan. That is what he said. But the only reason why he said that is because he was sure that it would never come to such a situation. He was sure that he'd be able to pay back before then, and that he'd only end up paying back another 70. And that's why he said all of this. He didn't actually think that he'd end up having to pay another 100. However, he did make the deal. So this is the discussion between Rabbi Yisrael and Rabbi Yehuda. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, an asmachta is totally, it's an invalid form of transfer of ownership. He does not have enough intent to transfer that ownership of the 30 shekel to the lender as a gift. He doesn't actually want to turn it into a gift of 30 and then pay 100 again. He just said it because he was so sure that it wouldn't actually come to such a situation. And therefore, according to Yehuda, he only owes the lender another 70 shekel. And so Levi should not give back this document to Shimon, which would allow him to collect 100 shekel. Because he's not entitled to any more than an additional 70 shekel. Somebody whose document which records a loan, if it gets rubbed out, the lender has this document, and this is what allows him to claim the money back from the lender, from the borrower, but it's been rubbed out, or at least it's been mostly rubbed out, and he needs to write up a new one, says the Mishnah. Even all of Edim, he should bring witnesses to testify what was written in the original document. He should come in front of Beistin, and the Beistin would create for him a new document to establish the original document. It would be a replacement referring back to the original document, as the mission now explains. They would write in this document, Ish ploini ben ploini, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, nimchak shtori ben ploini, his document was rubbed out on such-and-such a date, uploini uploini edov, and the witnesses who were written in the original document were so-and-so and so-and-so. They would write out this document but talking about the original document. They wouldn't just rewrite the same document, but they would say that this is a document in order to validate the original document, and this will be the proof and what the lender will use in order to collect his debt. Alright, next part of the Mishnah. Somebody who pays part of his debt, like we discussed in the previous Mishnah, in a regular scenario, what should be done? Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yudah says, Yachlif, they should switch the document, meaning they should destroy the original document. We'll go with the previous example, which we said in the previous Mishnah, of 100 shekel. He's now paid 30 shekel. They should destroy the original document and write a new document today saying that he lends him, or that he only owes him, 70 shekel. Rabbi Yaisi and Rabbi Yaisi says, They should keep the original uh, document, and they should just write a receipt, which the borrower can keep for himself to prove that he has already paid back 30 shekel. It emerges, according to Rabbi Yaisi, that the borrower now needs to guard and take care of this document from the mice. He now needs to make sure that he keeps this document, because if he loses it, he's going to end up having to pay another 100 shekel. Why give him all of this hassle? If we destroy the original document and just write a new one, we're not giving anybody new hassle. The lender anyway already had a document which he had to look after. So now we'll look after this document instead. Why create the situation where the borrower also needs to make sure that he takes care of the document? I want to be Yaisi said to him, because there's a very big difference. If you rewrite the document then a document needs to be written, the, the date needs to be written on a document. If you write a new document saying that it's as if he's lending him money, 70 shekel from today, the law is that if a borrower can't pay back the money, 
the lender has the right to collect money even from the property, for example, the fields, which the borrower owns. Not only that, but even if the borrower sold one of his fields to somebody else after the loan was made, the lender is able to take that field from the buyers. But that only applies to the things which the borrower owned at the time that the loan was made. Now, if you think about it, if they're making a new document as if the loan is being made today the lender would lose out because they'll only be able to collect the fields which were owned by the borrower today. But anything which he might have sold between when the original loan was made and today, he won't be able to collect anymore because it's as if the loan is being made anew today. And therefore, Rabbi Yassi says, This is good for the lender. And the power of the lender will not be reduced. By keeping the original document, we're showing that the loan was made at an earlier date which gives the lender the right to collect the more property, potentially, in a case where the borrower wouldn't be able to pay back. And there'll just be a receipt which shows that he's paid back 30. Now, the reason why Rabbi Yehuda argues against Rabbi Yaisi is because according to Rabbi Yehuda, you can rewrite a new document today and just put the original date on it. After all, that's when the loan was made. However, Biosi is of the opinion that if you write a document today, you can never write an earlier date. You can only write the date on which the actual um, document was being written.